Hello and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become real to us because we believe that helps us draw more power out of them and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Carrie Mielstein, and I'm excited to have back with me again, uh, Bethany Jensen, who uh, we did kind of a, a different uh, version of the podcast once before when we were also talking about Spark and doing Isaiah. Uh, but this time, Bethany's on to talk about Jonah. And so uh, Bethany, uh, she went to school at BYU and uh, was a fantastic student there. I, I worked with Bethany then, and she, I mean, was amazing. And the, the, the things she could research and write and put together, and we co-authored things, and she did lectures and presentations. She was so good. And then um, she started to work for Museum of the Bible and got a master's uh, while doing that in, uh, I think it was in museum studies. Is that right? And then uh, went to the University of Memphis and got a master's in Egyptology. Uh, so we're glad to have you with us. Welcome, Bethany. Thank you so much. That was really kind. <laughs> uh, anything else you'd like us to know about yourself? Uh, I mean, that's, that's basically my educational background. I, uh, I don't have a formal, I don't have formal training in biblical studies or anything like that, but I spent uh, five years with Museum of the Bible where I picked up a lot um kind of that's actually fairly so. formal training i would say when you're working yeah. at, at there so yeah yeah and you're it's from not a degree but yeah 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 <laughs> you're from uh seattle area and you're back there just barely now right yeah i i grew up uh just south of seattle in olympia um and uh bounced around for the last little bit with jobs and careers and moved back home to be closer to family and um, started working for a nonprofit not too long ago. So I'm doing that and also keeping up with spark and, and other things. So yeah, she keeps uh, spark going. So that's exactly right. Well, good. <laughs> it's, it's good to have you with us. So, Thanks. um, we're going to do something a little bit different this week with the book of Jonah, because Jonah, there are so many different ways people take it and, and look at it and things they draw from it. And so I thought it might be kind of fun to have two different people on. Uh, and just let each one give us uh, some of the, their takes on Jonah and some of the ways they look at it. And then the audience can listen to both and kind of compare and contrast and, and just see some different ways we go about um, Jonah. So uh, as we do that, and we're trying to give just some quick bullet points at the beginning of each one. Uh, and this one, I think Bethany and I are going to talk about um, yeah, so, some of the background of Jonah and different ways people have taken it over time. And uh, and then we'll look at a couple of highlights from the, the story or some major takeaways from the story. So is that about right, Bethany? Sounds great. All right. So why don't you start us out? Um, well, the main thing that I wanted to talk about with Jonah is uh, kind of maybe a little bit esoteric or a little bit uh, kind of off the beaten path for most people. But it's a story that I learned when I was working for Museum of the Bible. Um, and it has to do with uh, how the Bible was translated over time. Um, and so initially, uh, the, the text of Jonah would have been written in Hebrew. Um, but by the time we get to the Christian period, most, most people are reading in Greek, um, the, the predominance of, and somebody is probably going to listen to this and poke and, you know, want more nuance to my, my version of events, but they're not on your podcast. So, uh, I apologize if I don't no. get every detail, but, um, no, no one's going to get every detail that, that would bore everyone. So exactly. We, exactly. We're not looking for that. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so you get the, the old Testament text in Greek for most, most of the Christian world. Um, but then, uh, as, as Christian Christianity spreads, um, you, you get more of the Latin influence. Mm -hmm. And so Jerome, um, who I, where are my notes? Uh, who's an early church, he was a church father who, uh, 
um, in the late 300s, he worked uh, on translating uh, parts of the Bible into Latin. Initially, it was he was tasked with the Gospels, and then he kind of went beyond that and started doing everything. Um, and in fact, he's so into this, he moves to, to yes. where he lives in Bethlehem, but lives all around the Holy Land uh, in order to be better at translating. Uh, he, he really gets into this. Yes. Yeah, he, he's really... Yeah, really committed to uh, to translating the Bible into Latin. Um, and so while he's working on this, there are some letters that go back and forth between him and Augustine, who's another church father, um, slightly younger than Jerome, um, kind of a different, ba- you know, different background. Different, and he's from um, North Africa. So as opposed to Jerome, who was from um, Dal- Dalmatia, um, but kind of had lived in Rome and Palestine. Augustine is firmly situated in kind of the Greek part of Christianity. Um, and so they're writing letters back and forth. And um, uh, when maybe, maybe I'll just say our, our audience, these, these become such important figures. Our audience has probably heard of them as St. Jerome and yeah. St. Augustine, right? Yes. So. Yeah. Yeah. They likely have. Yeah. I mean, they're hugely influential um, in Christian thought and um, at any rate, so when Jerome is translating, he makes the decision to use the Hebrew text of, uh, of the Old Testament when he translates. He, um, you know, uh, he later justifies that opinion, but um, by basically saying, you know, we got it from we got it from the Jews who wrote it in Hebrew. And so we're going to, you know, I'm going to use the Hebrew for my translation. Um, but this was contrary to what had been done in Christian communities. Like I said, Greek had kind of been the predominant language. Um, and so this is kind of where Augustine comes into play. And he writes, he writes to Jerome in 394 and basically says, you know, I've heard you're, you're uh, translating into Latin and that you're using the Hebrew text without saying how it differs from the Septuagint. And the Septuagint is of the highest authority. So I don't, what you're, I don't know what you're doing, but I want an answer. Yeah. Um, and, Which uh, you kind of have to laugh at just a little bit, right? But anyway, yeah. keep, keep going. Yeah, I mean, I was, it, it's it's so interesting to go back, and, and maybe this is just the nerd in me, but you go back and you read these letters from 1,600 years ago, and it's the petty infighting that you read in modern journal discourses with academics. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's the yeah. same. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and I mean, it just seems odd to me that you'd say, okay, no, the the translation the greek translation of the hebrew text is the the more important and more authoritative text than the text it came from right but right. but they'd gotten so into greek that you're right that's that's how right. they felt yeah absolutely you know and that was that was sort of part of their their identity was this is what we use for our scripture although then you get the issue of which septuagint because there's not just one but yeah. Yeah. that's a that's another that's another tangent um Anyway, so he wrote in 394, and then he wrote again in 403, and he said, this is Augustine writing to Jerome again, and he says, you know, I've written twice, haven't heard anything, so he copies the previous letters and says he's trying again, um, and, uh, you know, makes makes comments about how Jerome's new translations are deviating from the, the contemporary Christian ones, and, you know, he wants to know why, what he's doing and why, and, um and uh, that, you know, by having two translations, it's, it's going to cause issues in the church. Um, and at this point in time, um, there's sort of one Christian church. I mean, again, somebody is going to come at me with nuance, yeah. but um, this is pre-Catholic and Orthodox schism, which happens in, in 1054. Um, but this is sort of the foundation for that, that part of that schism with the, the language barrier. 
Um, I'm getting a little bit too off in the weeds on this. I apologize, but I'm trying to give the the context for what's going on. Yeah. Um, no, it's good anyway. stuff. So, uh, but in this letter, so he's, he's talking about how the Greek is, is widely known and that if, you know, if there's a, some issue with translating from the Hebrew, how, who are they going to go to, to try and figure out what's, what's correct? You know, you're going to have to go to the Jews to get an answer instead of sticking with the, the Christian tradition and because the, the Jews might have a different interpretation because it's, it's also their scripture. And, um, and then Augustine gives an example, um, and he, he doesn't, spe he doesn't specify exactly what the issue is. Um, in Jerome's reply, he, he gives us the details, but the story is, um, that there was a, a bishop in a church, um, who introduced Jerome's version of Jonah to the congregation. And this is where we finally get the relevancy for Jonah. <laughs> Um, and in the story, when, uh, we get to the part in chapter four, where God causes a plant to grow, um, the, the Greek, uh, translation of that word has traditionally been gourd. Um, it's, it's a Hebrew word that no one is really sure what it means in modern usage. It's a castor oil plant. Um, but in, in its original usage, no one's really quite sure. Yeah. Um, but the Greeks use, I mean, you can correct me, you know, the Hebrew better than I do, but that's. Uh, you're right. We don't know exactly what kind of a plant this is. It's just a fast growing yeah. plant. Yeah. So which the, is, the I think, Greek... why they chose gourd, I think. But anyway. Right. Yeah. So the Greeks use gourd, or the Greek translation uses gourd. Um, but Jerome decides to use the word ivy. Um, and, uh, and Augustine tells Jerome that because of this translation issue, when this was introduced in this church, uh, there was a riot in the church um the the word was different from what they had known for generations and and so it causes this big ruckus and the bishop um it, you know trying to figure out how to help people uh the bishop goes to some of the jews that were in the city and they tell him you know they, they kind of all come together where the hebrew and the greek and the old latin they all agree so we don't know what jerome is doing uh and uh and so the bishop then has to correct Jerome's version so that the, the congregation doesn't walk away from the bishop. Um, and so then again, Augustine says to Jerome, like, why, um, you know, why are there discrepancies between the Greek and the Hebrew? Why are you ignoring the authority of the Greek text? Um, and he wants a Latin translation of the Septuagint or the Greek version rather than the Hebrew. Um, and finally, we get a response from Jerome after this. And uh, in his letter, he talks about, he, he gives the situation. He, you know, he says, oh, you're probably talking about this Ivy Gourd situation, although you didn't tell me what it was, so I can't properly defend myself. Um, but he says that uh, the Greek version in general has additions not found in the Hebrew, and he decided to use the Hebrew text, um, kind of like I touched on earlier, because it was inherited from, from the Jews. Um, and then with the Jonah situation, uh, he, he says he's written about this before and he's explained the problem um, and he kind of uses the defense of the Hebrew uses a word that doesn't have a translation and gourd isn't correct. And so uh, he used ivy because that's what other Latin translations have used. And so he wanted to be consistent. Um, and then Jerome basically closes his letter by saying that he's old and wants to be left alone. Um, Jerome and Augustine are maybe I can't, I looked it up once. I think they're 15 or 20 years apart in age, but reading it, you would think it's like a 70 year old man and a 20 year old guy. And really they're both <laughs> like middle-aged, uh, yeah. like that's pretty funny. Um, but, uh, anyway, so that, that is the kind of some Bible history, Bible translation history that relates to Jonah. Um, 
and like I said, this, this back and forth about the Septuagint versus the Hebrew translation um, is significant. I mean, that, that really is, in, in, you know, even today, um, the Catholic Church's English translations are based on the Latin Vulgate, um, whereas translations for the Orthodox Church are, are based on Septuagint translations. They're based on the Greek. Um, and so and, that's, and it's an inheritance of last. Yeah. 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 Oh. And, and Protestant English, at least, comes from uh, both Hebrew and Greek, right? As we go through Wycliffe, Tyndale, and so on. Uh, and, and then you get in German, you get Martin Luther. And so, I mean, yeah. there, there's just a whole lot of different ways people have gone about this. Right. Right. Yeah. And you, you do get both in, uh, I mean, the Protestant church obviously splits off of the Catholic or the Protestant tradition splits off Catholicism, but yeah, you're absolutely right that they, the, the translate, uh, the, the reformationists all went back to, they were using Greek and Hebrew as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why you, I mean, there are all sorts of different versions, uh, and it's uh, it's worth sometimes just looking at the different translations and and seeing what you come up with. Even when we go to the Hebrew, we're actually just going to a standardized Hebrew text, and you can often find other versions that are a bit different. So, right. uh, if we were to use a different Hebrew text, so it's it's a, a bit complicated. That's why we're lucky as members of the church for the Book of Mormon to have. Uh, Mormons do the standardizing for us so that we, I mean, we still have issues as we translate from English to other languages, but uh, we at least have uh, him having uh, chosen the records that would he would standardize from. So anyway. Right. right. Well, and one thing I appreciate from this story that like, I feel sometimes we don't with, you know, with the eighth article of faith, where we believe the Bible, as far as it is translated correctly, I feel like we focus so much on, well, as far as it's translated correctly, like, well, the Bible is good, but right. And, yeah. and this story, it, it kind of shows me how much that people were trying. Um, yeah. you know, they tried to keep things consistent. They tried to keep things together. And, and obviously at certain points that, you know, and, and it, you know, at different points in time, people have done different things. Um, but I, I like this story for a number of reasons. And one is that it shows how, how much people were trying to keep the text together in a, you know, a literate society. Yeah. Uh, that's good. That's that's very good. Uh, and, and it does help us, uh, I think, appreciate. Uh, it's interesting that it's Jonah that and, and, and such an inconsequential yeah. element of Jonah that becomes yes. that, the, you know, you'd think it would be over. Well, is it a whale or a fish or something like that? But no, <laughs> it's over yeah. whether it's a gourd or a, a ivy. Right. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, what what type of plant that's significant for two or three verses? And yeah. And know whichever type of planet is holds no theological significance whatsoever no, right no, but no <laughs> but these are the things we get caught up in sometimes so right well it's the, <laughs> the classic how many angels fit on the head of a pin right the, yeah. Yeah. um well anyway. it, yeah, yeah that's good fun stuff so if it's all right with you um and we have another interview as i said with uh, Stephen smoot where we'll get into other elements of of jonah but uh, would it be all right if we just kind of talk together about what uh, you and I each feel are some of the main uh, takeaways from the book of Jonah? We don't have to get into like every verse or anything like that, but just what are some of the lessons or what are some of the things that you, you'd like to discuss uh, regarding Jonah or takeaways or whatever you'd like yeah. to talk about? Yeah, no, I think that sounds great. Um, I, uh, I actually got to teach this in seminary this week. Um, we wow. kind of had a change in our schedule. And so I ended up getting to teach it, um, just yesterday, actually. So it was kind of fun. Oh. 
And um, there's a special place in heaven for all early morning seminary teachers. <laughs> to say that. anyway. Let's hope so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but the, the first thing that really struck me with Jonah, and there, there's several things, but um, as I was, uh, was looking at it again for, for class, and um, I remember when I was in seminary, my teacher, you know, wrote us all letters that were like fake mission calls to uh, you know, like uh, North Korea or China or um, kind of these these places in the world where there aren't missionaries that might seem a little bit dangerous. Um, and uh, it was interesting as I read, I thought about that and then read Jonah's call. And and obviously this isn't necessarily missionary work. I mean, he's a prophet. It's, you know, it's a little bit different, but uh, yeah. it made me reflect on my own mission call, which when I, you know, 10 years ago, when I got a call to Moscow, Russia was not as scary as it would be to get today. Um, and I, and so I, I, it kind of changed my perspective a little bit on that of, um, you know, how, and obviously like, I don't want to get into the political situation and all of those details, but just to think about, you know, how would I feel being asked to go somewhere that, that might be dangerous? Um, Mm. and, uh, anyway, it might be some animosity towards you because of where you're from and you might have animosity for them. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so kind of put it in a different light because, you know, I, uh, we experienced that a little bit as missionaries in Russia, but it wasn't, I, I, I think it would be entirely different now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Especially uh, right now. Yeah. yeah. And so that was kind of, I mean, that's the, the beginning of, of Jonah chapter one. And so that was one thing that, um, that I was thinking about was just the, you know, how, how difficult it would be to have a call like this. And, you know, I guess you would want to run away to the other side of the known world. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is what he's doing, right? He's trying to get as far away as he can. Yeah. Um, and then I don't, I don't know whether we want to just kind of, I mean, well, I was going to say jump around, but really Jonah's a short book, so it's not really all that much of a leap, but, um, we can do it however you want. The main theme that I, you know, the main takeaway for me, um, which is kind of the main takeaway of, of the old Testament in general, you and I have talked about this before is just, um, you know, the mercy of God and the love of God and the ability um, and the access we all have to forgiveness, um, you know, the way that uh, it's described, you know, Jonah is so terrified of going to these people and then he goes and they all decide, yeah, okay, yeah, we're going to repent. We're all going to put on sackcloth and ashes, not only us, but like the animals and no one's allowed to eat or drink. And, you know, even the animal, you know, the animals and the people, everyone in the city. Um, and there, there's probably a degree of exaggeration here, but the... <laughs> um, uh, but they, you know, they decide to listen, which, you know, as a missionary, if, if you're called somewhere and they listen to you and they do what you say, I mean, why would you not be thrilled at that? Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, Jonah's reaction is uh, it, it displeased him exceedingly and he was angry. Um, and uh, and that's where, you know, we end up with the um, the plant for God to kind of show Jonah like, well, you cared more about this plant that you did nothing for than you cared for the thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people in this city um, and the cattle is that's how the book ends with the much cattle. Um, But just how, but uh, just kind of telling Jonah, like you, you got all of this mercy. You were in the, in the belly of the fish and I I saved you. And you have even, you know, you recognize how merciful I am, you know, the Lord speaking. And yet you're not willing to give that to someone else. Um, And I think it's a good lesson for all of us. I think very often, um, 
it's, it's easy to want forgiveness for yourself and be, Oh yes, the Lord's merciful to me. And that's wonderful. Sometimes that's hard, but, um, it's all, it's really hard. We all want it, whether we accept it or not, we all want it. Right. Right. But it's, it's really hard to, uh, extend that to someone else when you feel that they have wronged you or when they have wronged you. Um, and, uh, and it's hard. It's not, it's not easy to let that go. And it's like, well, mercy for me, but judgment for you. Um, but that's, that's not really how it works. Yeah. And that is, I think you're right when it requires a tremendous amount of charity to, to flip that because it is natural to say mercy for me, justice for you. And, and you have to have charity to want justice, even for those who wronged you and, and the ability to put yourself in their shoes. So I think you're right. Yeah. Have you seen the, uh, the veggie tales movie, Jonah <laughs> and the big fish? I have, I actually, yeah. uh, I remember my mom pulling me like she she got me out of school early to go see it in theaters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I love that one and and I have anyway, to say I, love I that think movie. that the song the, the main song in that movie uh, they nailed it dead on what to me is the major and it's just what you were talking about the major message of Jonah you know that song is our God is a God of second chances right or for yes. Jonah third and fourth and fifth chances right because Jonah well god wants to give nineveh a second chance and so he asked jonah to help and jonah goes the wrong way so jonah gets a second chance and he makes good on his second chance and he goes and he gets nineveh to repent so they make good on their second chance but then jonah needs another he needs a third chance uh because he still doesn't have charity and god gives him another chance and i suspect if the book were longer we'd just keep going and going right and that's really as you said we've talked before this is the message of the old testament God is a merciful God, and he will give us as many chances as we need, and he will work with us in whatever way we need. So whether you think it's exaggeration or not, what happens in Nineveh or with the fish or whale or whatever else, the point of the story is God will do whatever it takes to give us another chance. And I think that's what you were saying. And that's just really powerful to me. Yeah, no, I think so. And that, I mean, that's a part of the gospel that has always really like spoken to me is the, the idea of, you know, God of second chances, a God of multiple chances, uh, you know, it's yeah. not just two, but the, the idea that he's going to do whatever to try and bring us back. And really the only limit is our, what our, what we are going to do in reaction. You know, we, we read over and over again, his hand is stretched out still yeah. and it is, but we have to take that hand. Um, oh, you know, he's not going to force us to do anything we don't want to do. Um, but, uh, but, you know, he will, um, you know, he'll always extend that mercy, um, you know, with the, with the plan of salvation and, and obviously we don't know all of the details of how everything is going to work out, but I remember teaching as a missionary where it's like, well, if you didn't have a chance in this life, you will have a chance in the next life. And, and, you know, and we don't know what that looks like, but it's, it's the same principle, right? It's the, it's the God of second chances. It's the, if you didn't have an opportunity, you will still have an opportunity. Yeah. Um, Even in the afterlife. Yeah. Uh, amen. And hallelujah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. This is just fun stuff, Bethany. I, I, I appreciate it. Jonah's not a long book. And, and as I said, we'll have a couple different takes on it. So uh, I think we've, we've hit those highlights. I, I, I'm grateful for your making the time to come on and help us look at uh, this from a couple different angles. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. This was great. Yeah. Jonah's a fun little book. So. Yeah. Good stuff in there. All right. Well, we hope to have Bethany on another time, and we hope that uh, you found some things in here that are helpful and that you can uh, help others with it as well. So thank you, and have a great uh, day, Bethany, and everyone else. Thank you so much.